I'm Mark Peterson, and this is the FEMA Podcast. FEMA's mission can sometimes require on-the-ground support immediately following events with minimal to no notice. The geography of this requirement expands from as far east as the U.S. Virgin Islands and as far west as the Northern Mariana Islands and everywhere in between. Because of this need, FEMA has rapidly deployable emergency response teams called Incident Management Assistance Teams, IMATs. IMATs are made up of dedicated and experienced senior-level emergency management professionals with expertise in operations, logistics, planning, and recovery, all always at the ready to deploy upon a moment's notice when requested by the state. On this episode, we sit down with Tito Hernandez and regional IMAT lead Keith Denning to dive into the unique nature of these IMAT teams from both the national and regional perspective. So I'm so excited to be joined by two very experienced FEMA emergency managers, Tito Hernandez. Tito, uh, what's your role? I am the director of the Operational Coordination Division. But prior to doing this, I was uh, an FCO for 30 years and a team leader for one of the national teams. The national IMAT teams, the Incident Management Assistance teams. And then also Keith Denning, who's joining us from... Uh, out of Region 4, which is in Atlanta, and you are the team lead for that? Team lead for the Region 4 IMAT 1. Okay, well, I'm really excited to kind of talk about the, the, the differences between the national IMAT team and the regional IMAT teams and the resources that we bring to support state and local responders as we um, sort of stand up the emergency operations for disasters around the country. So um, thanks, thanks, guys. Uh, so, Tito, the national IMAT teams, um, they get their origin from the PCMRA, right? The Post-Katrina Emergency Management um, Reform Act. Yes. And Congress's intent was to stand up established teams, right? Yes. Uh, the, the law actually instructed us to create three national teams to have them available for anything in the nation uh, from notice and no-notice events. And so we have these three national teams. We have... Uh, we have two now. We're creating the third one now, which is going to be created for the next hurricane season. Uh, so we have two national teams. We have a, an IMAT collateral team, which is made up of, of permanent full-time employees in the nation. Uh, and we have another team, which we don't use normally in disaster operations. We reside in the national capital region. It's a national capital region IMAT team. And they reside here, and they only concentrate their efforts in DC in this area, in in any kind of event that impacts the national capital region. So those those three national teams, uh, do we strategically locate them? I mean, are they stationed in different places? Yes, we have the, a, a team in, in the west in California, in Sacramento, and that team is actually there to t- deal with anything related to the Pacific. And then we have two in the east. The idea of having two in the east is because we can move them fast for whatever we want, and we have the majority of the big events in the east coast. Sure, um, and uh, big events we're thinking things like hurricanes, uh, tornadoes in the center of the island, in the in the part of the eastern part of the, the United States, and then we have a lot of the targets 
uh, of opportunity for potential uh, man-made events in the East. Sure. And then so to round out the sort of the system of incident management assistance teams, those IMAT teams, we also have regional teams. So each region has a team? Is that right? Yes, we have 13 regional teams and there are three regions that have two teams. That would be region four out of Atlanta, covers the southeast, uh, region six in Texas, which covers uh, most of the south southwest, uh, basically. And then uh, region nine and out of Oakland has two teams and uh, they cover most of the uh, the West. So uh, when we think about the difference between national teams and regional teams, what is the, what are the biggest differences between those teams? Well, the regional teams are constantly being used by the regions to do any kind of disaster within the states uh, that are comprised in the region. And these teams are really proficient in working with the states within the region. They're smaller in capacity, usually 12-person uh, teams. Uh, and they are they get to know the states real well. They get to uh, interact with the states constantly because they're constantly having to do disasters in that. Uh, when the event is of a social magnitude, it's a type two event, a potential type one event, the complexity of the event uh, will actually uh, necessitate a bigger effort. And that's when we actually employ in a national team. So you will see that most of the time you'll see a regional team uh, component and you see the national team that comes in to oversee and work the disaster, bring uh, uh, stability to the lifelines, and then we move out. So let's talk about the, the actual staffing of the team. So how big are the national teams versus the regional teams? Well, national teams are 25-person teams. Uh, they have more capability. They bring their own communications aspect with them. Uh, and they have uh, the full uh, support of the nation to go out. Because when we send a national team, most probably we have all hands on deck. Sure. And then, Keith, how big are the regional teams? We have 13 people on uh, regional teams. And uh, we are qualified to a uh, type 2 level. What, what is a type 2? Uh, type 2 would be uh, versus one, one, two, or 3. So national teams are, are type 1 uh, qualified. And, and type two uh, is uh, is very well qualified. In fact, we have a number of team people that have enough experience that they've uh, they've been able to move up also. But uh, that that is what we uh, what we can handle on our own within within our region, or if we go to assist another another region. Sure, it takes quite a, quite a bit of, uh, of training and experience to get up to a type two level. So um, Tito, when you are actually deployed, or or Keith, uh, when you're actually deployed uh, to uh, either a state to manage a statewide disaster or in a maybe a larger event where you're you're deployed to a specific part of a state you are sort of the tip of the spear right for the mm -hmm. federal response yes um, and and so how does that interaction work with uh, local emergency managers or the state emergency managers well you know you need to understand that the IMA team is going out there to support the state uh, and not necessarily that I'm a team leader is in command. There's a federal coordinating officer that might be pre-designated that has the lead role for that event. So we're there as a as customer-client relationship. We are there to support the state and support the FCO in establishing stability to our lifelines. We have the lifelines, which is what we're looking at. We have transportation. We have... Uh, a set of lifelines that we are paying attention to in response. We're looking at the safety and security. We're looking at uh, food, water, and sheltering, uh, health and medical, power, energy, and fuel. Uh, we're talking about communication, transportation, and hazardous materials. So when these teams go out, we are looking at 
bringing actions and, and using an incident action plan and the federal response framework to bring in stability to those lifelines. Something happened, there's a problem with communications, we're going to do and put actions in place. We're going to bring uh, emergency support functions, uh, other agencies that have ability to respond, and we're going to actually give missions to them. Once we bring stability, we reestablish communications, then the recovery starts. So therefore, our, our job is to bring stability during that response phase of that event. Each of the incident management assistance teams are made up of different disciplines. So can you talk to me through the different actual team members that are, make up the team? If you have a, a, a regional team, the regional team would have 13 positions. The national team has those positions, but more. The idea is that uh, when we go, we need to establish a, a, a a more complex level of engagement with that state. So when you when you look at a at the national team, you look at uh, branches that are within the JFO that are going to set up task force to accomplish one of the biggest missions. So we're looking at uh, operations branch, but we're looking also at the uh, mass shelter. We're looking at uh, energy. We're looking at those those lifelines that are going to create the most harm to bring uh, a task force to deal with the issues that are coming in with that lifeline. Sure. So so when we have a national team, we bring more people to the table, we bring because of the complexity of the event. It doesn't mean that a regional team cannot do that because I can tell you that most regions, even though they have 13 folks, the regions will actually send support staff with that team to the field, depending on the complexity of what they see in that state. So uh, part of the the structure of the team is made up of, uh, well, a big part of that is the operations section chief leader, mm -hmm. right? So and the national team has one, but it's more robust capabilities, because right? Because you, you have an operations section chief, you have a deputy in the national team, you have emergency services, you have uh, operations branch for mass care, you have mission assignment managers, uh, because when we get out as a national team, uh, usually you're going to have certain level of response. Uh, you will have to engage into mission assignments. Uh, and so those are things that the regional teams don't actually go out with. This is where the work's being done. Mm -hmm. and, and so how is that different on a regional team, Keith? Well, on a regional team, to augment the operations section chief, we'll have our branch director for infrastructure. And, uh, and that person concentrates uh, in the response phase on things like emergency power, fuel, uh, dams and levees, those types of things. And then uh, we have a, a branch director for mass care who uh, handles feeding and sheltering and, uh, and also other emergency assistance that's needed. So speaking specifically about the operations section, which is a, a big component of uh, the field work that you're doing, well, let's just talk practically. Um, so let's say that you go into a state where maybe there was a tornado um, and uh, I'm, I'm thinking maybe some roads are, you know, severely impacted or a bridge has been um, damaged. Uh, on a regional team, I'm... I'm thinking that the infrastructure uh, position is yes, working. Yes, infrastructure some of those branch issues. director will handle that, and we'll bring in uh, subject matter experts. We may have some of our emergency support functions activated, and uh, so we'll either look at what what needs to be done temporarily to help, and then also, of course, in the recovery process, we're talking about rebuilding. So you're taking those requirements from the state yes. uh, and working with the federal counterpart, and uh, and then trying to identify where in the federal sort of um, toolbox, 
we can find a solution. Is that, is exactly, that right? where we can find maybe a temporary solution to help the community. And then again, looking towards the recovery. But, uh, but yes, we have, we, uh, we you know, everybody thinks about that FEMA is, is that emergency, that federal emergency management agency, but uh, we have partners all around the federal family that are assigned to handle those different things that we that we work on. We coordinate those things for to help the state and coordinate that federal assistance. I mean, a lot of what you're talking about here is relationship building, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's a team approach. Well, you talk about, you know, that same road and bridge. Now, let's talk about... The disaster in Puerto Rico, for example, we got 19,000 miles uh, of roads, only 4,000 left after the disaster. The complexity is big. So therefore, we need more people. Uh, So we have 27 federal agencies that sign up to the National Response Framework. They come with us, and we give them missions. Uh, That doesn't mean that they they don't have their own authority. That means that when their authority ends, and they have resources, we will give them missions so that they can actually use the resources for missions that I need to have. So in that essence, the complexity is what's going to drive whether we actually have a national team or a national team and and as many regional teams as we can in an event to actually start the geographic branches. Uh, Let's say, for example, Puerto Rico again as an example because it's the biggest one we have right now. There's five branches open out there. So when we have a big event uh, such as Maria, we will actually look for regional teams to run the branches because they become small disasters within their own area. We have uh, a branch in, uh, open up that means that that area got a heavy impact. That area needs to have their own resources to work with. You need your own coordination to be done in that area. So therefore, we give that field uh, operation the 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 autonomy to make decisions. Uh, We talk to them about the resources they need. We provide them resources, and they employ resources with their divisions. So you see, a a regional team can become part of a national-level effort, and you will have those regional teams running field operations for the national team at the joint field office. I mean, I think that's a really well, uh, a really good way of kind of putting it and framing it up because it that resonates with me in terms of the way that uh, we bring in all of the staff of FEMA in to help, you know, states that have been impacted in a sort of like complete way. Florida, mm-hmm. from, you know, the Keys all the way to the Panhandle or the entire yes. island of Puerto Rico. We're really mm-hmm. bringing all of these resources and staff to bear. And it's happening more and more often. Also, we we're we're finding uh, that we have events that require geographic structure more often. So uh, so we're relying on those other teams around the country to come in and help us. Uh, Hurricane Irma in Florida it, uh, two years ago, um, we had five five branches around around Florida. Uh, my team was in Miami. We had forty percent of the of the individual assistance registrations there. Uh, in that branch, and of course, the keys were were heavily affected by that. So, you you need a team to bring in like that to uh, to again, like you said, it's just its own small disaster just in that in that piece of the state, and be able to touch base with uh, with with all the officials there, with all the counties, and uh, and bring the programs in to uh, to make sure that they get their answers to start their recovery. Um, guys, you know, I think it's a logical place to start with op- operations, but um, the IMAT's also made with the 
made up of a few other sections, right? So planning mm -hmm. is another one. Planning is uh, is one of the, the second biggest component. Where logistics is another one that, that brings all the resources. Logistics has all the resources. Planning will tell us what is the action plan that we have. It will tell us what is uh, our movement for the next day, the next couple of days. It will tell us what we did also. Uh, it will look into creating uh, the products that we need to actually make decisions. Uh, they will do analytics for us, uh, uh, geographic uh, information systems that they have. They will actually put them available to us. Uh, so planning is one of the biggest components that we have. Uh, without planning, we don't know what we're doing. We don't know where we were, and we don't know where we're going. And then you also have a command staff, a full mm -hmm. command staff. We bring lawyers. We bring uh, safety, security. We have... Uh, people that are not part of the team that we actually talk to cadres. There's uh, 23 cadres in, in the nation that will provide support to those teams also. So when we see the level of complexity that the event is actually showing, uh, we see the, the level of impact that we have. We analyze the state and their capabilities, whether it's a strong state versus a weak state. And we have uh, differences in the states and their capabilities, and we'll look at that to make our determinations as to how many people we're going to send to a state or not. Uh, the whole, all of these different components of the team um, really makes me think of self-sufficiency, mm -hmm. um, right? So talk to me about um, how you prepare yourself to go into an area where you may be the only uh, FEMA staff there for a certain amount of time, right? So I'm, I'm assuming you're made up or you're composed or the team is composed in such a way that you can go in and essentially establish command and control uh, mm -hmm. for a period of time. We, we, we start a, a good-sized business is what we do uh, on, on any of these, large, especially the larger operations. Just have to imagine that when you have a 1,000 people that you brought in to work in a state, all the support that you need just to take care of that staff. So you're talking about finance and HR and all of those components. Uh, so we, we are really starting a, a good-sized good business. Aside from the people that are working to, to provide the support to the state, what is it that we need to support our own, our own people? And yes, we have to be pretty much uh, self-sufficient. And uh, so we have to watch it. And initially, uh, how many people that we bring into an area uh, so that we don't overburden the, the state staff uh, initially. And, and uh, uh, quite often, we'll set up uh, interim operating facilities around that area where we're working in the state EOC, we're a state emergency operations center, and we will stage them. Uh, not only in the disaster area, but even outside of the state for them to come in. So uh, we, we have to be prepared. Individually, um, your team members, you have to keep them prepared. And you have to, train, have to train and you have to exercise. But uh, um, uh, in my opinion, it takes a special type of person to be able to do it and, and be willing to go out at a moment's notice and, and leave everything behind and, and go through that stressful condition. So you have to... Uh, you have to make sure you get the right people. And you need to be ready to work in austere environments. I mean, we have communications packages that we give to them. We have satellite uh, communications. We have uh, our mobile emergency response systems that go out with, with us when we have events so that it creates a communication package for us. But we also actually talk to our logisticians to actually have sustenance for the for the teams. Uh, and like, uh, like Keith said, like, I go back to Puerto Rico because in Puerto Rico we didn't have any hotels available. 
Um, at one point in time, at the beginning of that event, we had 19,000 people working there. How we, do we billet those people? We had three uh, cruise ships that we parked in San Juan, and we were using them for billeting. Uh, and so when we have that kind of a, a, a potential problem, when we have a cash economy, because there's no banks, there's no power, uh, there's no water, there's a, the normal infrastructure support that a, a normal person has is gone. Uh, that's when we actually are, go in. And we have our team that's going to be sleeping in, in stairwells, it's going to be sleeping in boats, sleeping in a corner, sleeping in the office. Uh, because when we get into that particular aspect, the event is of so complexity that it's going to actually force you to actually have a 24-hour operation. And sometimes you don't have a hotel to go to. Sometimes you're sleeping in your car. So you're looking just like everyone else. You're looking at logistics to provide that sustenance for us so that we can continue to do the work that we do. Can you talk a little bit about what the recall is for each of the teams? Like how, how quickly are you expected to deploy? Well, we are expected to deploy within 12 hours, uh, get out the door and go. And we need to be out in whatever we're going in 12 hours. That's all your staff. That's all, all the your staff, stuff. all the equipment, uh, all the people get to the place and start talking to the state within 12 hours. Uh, we are, we are, we give ourselves a little bit of more time in terms of uh, going to the Pacific because uh, it's a long haul to get down to Guam, uh, Saipan, Pago Pago, and places in the Pacific. And we also take a, uh, take that into consideration for Puerto Rico and U.S. Virgin Islands. But uh, within the states, uh, that's why we have our, our national teams are located next to Dulles here. And they're in Sacramento, close to our, an airport. The idea is that they can get out within easy, you know, and they have major routes of transportation to go out. The national teams, they also have fleets of cars. So if we know of a pending deployment, we'll send those cars out first and then we'll move the team later. But the idea is to have some connectivity with that state within 12 hours. And is it the same for the regions? Yes, it is. And we have to we have to assemble in some manner within two hours of notification. And that could be just a conference call. But that means that you are always on. So uh, if you're out on the golf course, uh, you should on the weekend, you should have your phone with you and be, be ready to respond. So uh, that's that's what I require. What is the training like for these for these teams? Training is a uh, on the job training is a lot, a lot of on the job training that we do. And when you look at the national teams, since we don't have states associated with us, we have a lot of classroom training. We have a lot of training that we send our people out to the joint field offices to get that expertise and experience. And then we have a training plan, training program that would actually have the national teams with the regional teams surrounding them so that we can give training and we can engage them so that the relationships between national national teams and regional teams are not new when they go out into the field. So right now we're developing the training for the next fiscal year that's going to actually have the West and all the regional teams surrounding that West team to go out into classrooms with them together so that we can give introductions, we can work with the teams, we can talk about and and work on the actions and the missions that we're going to be actually doing in the field. Uh, and so that training is a really an aggressive posture that we're trying to do to maintain that. We also create for new teams uh, an IMAR Academy. The idea is to have uh, the baseline for any training to be the same and to create that team concept. Uh, and then we can get them out really ready and mission capable to go to the field. 
and it can, it can take an individual uh, to become qualified at the level of the, the particular team that they're on. It could take them three to five years to reach that qualification. And that is a combination of training and, and experience. I think part of the conversation also comes to what kind of people are we recruiting, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, what kind of backgrounds are you looking for? Because you talked about the unique nature of being on this team. So what are you looking for in a person? Austere environment, people that can do this work we got a lot of firefighters that come in. They're used to that life. We got a lot of DOD experience coming in, uh, police coming in. These are real people that are responders out there that are used to that life of actually living everything and running to the danger. Uh, we are not responders, but we need someone that knows the work that a responder is doing so that we can coordinate the support that that responder needs. Uh, you know, we, we've had conversations with the National Exercise Division, and we've talked about how they gear up for national-level exercises. Mm-hmm. And part of that is understanding the threat, um, developing a plan, and then uh, exercising that plan. But part of those big national-level exercises involves the IMAT. Right? Mm-hmm. You guys participate in a lot of those exercises. So, you know, talk to me a little bit about how you work with planning um, and to some extent the exercise divisions about understanding these very complex threats that we expect you to go and um, and respond to. Well, I can tell you that. It's uh, a great question. We we talked to the national level exercise planning cell. Um, actually, we started the process for this year, for next year. Uh, and we're, we actually start looking at a at getting our teams into that mode, but we don't want, we, we are trying to keep the teams away from that planning because we want to test the team. So the team components, we don't engage that much into the actual planning of the exercise. We do that planning for them. We evaluate our teams when we go out and we're looking for that. We're looking for how fast can they get situational awareness? Uh, what are the the strengths and weaknesses that they see as they engage that state for the first 12 to 24 hours. Uh, We're going to look into what actions they're going to take based on the issues that they're actually finding uh, and what kind of plans are they going to develop in their action plan. Uh, And the the idea is that we want that team to get into a no-notice event or get into an event that we see forming uh, and get them to employ themselves, get them to give us uh, the initial stages of what they're thinking and how they're actually going to organize the field work. Uh, We're going to test them on that. So we do a lot of preparedness here in the headquarters area, uh, not necessarily with the team, uh, because we want to test that team. Well, national level exercises are the worst of the worst. They're generally big events that involve multiple states, mm-hmm. very complex operations, whether it's a New Madrid earthquake or an improvised nuclear device or some kind of cyber warfare. Mm-hmm. Um, but from the regional level, you must exercise quite a bit about those specific threats that you see. Yes, we do. We participate in the national level, too. Uh, we we uh, worked with uh, one of the national IMAT teams this year uh, in Tennessee for the Shaken Fury New Madrid exercise. And uh, the benefit for us that came out of that was that we're now, our team is now um, collaborating with uh, Tennessee Emergency Management throughout this upcoming fiscal year to lead them up to their own exercise that they're going to develop because they saw some things they needed to work on. And uh, in fact, we've talked to them several times already uh, this month 
uh, about about getting together and what it is we're going to work on. So we're going to go visit them and spend some time with them per personally uh, throughout this fiscal year leading up to next June when they went and do that exercise with them. Uh, on a regional level, especially in Region 4, we have hurricane exercises throughout the year. Uh, so both of our teams will uh, will go to some of those exercises, and and then they'll have they'll have different exercises also, but uh, but mainly they concentrate on on hurricane scenarios, and and most states will do one every year. Our coastal states, so that will be six out of our eight regional states that we have. There's a certain camaraderie amongst the team. Can you talk a little bit about that? You you, you when I send you out, when we go out. Uh, we are the new people in town. So when we go out to any any part of USA, unless it's my bio, my own backyard, I'm from Puerto Rico. So I depend on my team members to keep me safe. And they depend on me to take decisions and make decisions for that team that will keep the team safe, but will be productive for the state and supportive of the state. So in that essence, uh, when you are with that team constantly praying, constantly the training, you become a family. Uh, and I can tell you that uh, there's some regional teams that have been together for a long, long time. So they they work together, they play together. Uh, the national teams are the same. Uh, we go out, we have people with special needs within our teams that we need to take care of. Uh, we have people that are more adept at living in austere environments than others, so we help each other. Uh, and no one is left behind because uh, the team goes out together, they come back together in one piece. And the team leader is responsible not only for the well-being of that team, the engagement that that team has, the performance, but also to keep them safe. And that's one of the biggest responsibilities that a team leader has. When, when you're when you're taking taking your life on the road basically and, and leaving leaving your family back in Atlanta or wherever it is uh, you have to support each other you have to make sure that uh, and, and and I have to as a team lead watch out for my team members and make sure that they're doing okay and and uh, and asking them about their family and asking if there's any issues that are going on and things that we can help out with um, one member of my team I've known since uh, since uh, I came started with FEMA in 2005, um, and uh, and he and I have worked together over the years, and and even when we weren't working together, we were still in communication, and we'd talk about emergency management, talk about the work, um, and it, it's it's those kinds of things that you have to look for when you're hiring somebody. Are they going to fit in with that team, and are they going to be part of that support? Uh, a few months ago, we lost one of our team members. We were not we were not deployed at the time, but uh, but a gentleman passed away. And to watch how the team pulled together to support each other on that, and uh, it was 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 a great thing to see. And in fact, they all traveled six hours to spend uh, to spend an evening with his family and friends and celebrating his life. And uh, and 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 to a man, everybody went. So uh, that's that's. That was, you know, one of the things when you talk about that camaraderie and that support, you have to have that. You, you have to uh, because you're you're going out and, and, and you're not facing the unexpected. But uh, but there's going to be a lot of things thrown at you that uh, that you're going to need to help each other out with and support each other. You think about it. We 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 send these teams to whatever the damages are. We don't know the area. We don't know the neighborhood where we're getting into. There's some neighborhoods out there that states won't go out. But if we need to go there because that's where the damage is, that's where we're going to be at. 
we're going to take care of ourselves. We're going to protect each other. We're going to keep our, our people aware of where we are at all times. The mission will get us wherever we need to go. It's up to us to keep us safe and to bring us back in one piece. We welcome your comments and suggestions on this and future episodes. Help us to improve the podcast by rating us and leaving a comment. If you have ideas for future topics, send us an email at FEMA-podcast at FEMA.dhs.gov. If you'd like to learn more about this episode or other topics, visit FEMA.gov slash podcast.